Welcome to I Like the Way You Work It, a podcast from your friends at Dateline Digital Printing. At Dateline, we care a lot about taking unusually good care of people and helping them do their very best work. This podcast is a gift to the remarkable people we have the honor of serving. And now, I Like the Way You Work It, with your host, Jeff Welch. Everybody, welcome to another episode of I Like the Way You Work It. I'm your host, Jeff Welch, and today I'm sharing a conversation that I had with Eric Gettinger, who is a pastor at Friends Church. In this conversation, we talk about his path to becoming a pastor, how that wasn't necessarily what he had intended to do from a young age. Uh, we talk about the importance of empathy and how important it is for people to feel heard. We talk about his experiences as a foster parent, as an adoptive parent, and his his heart for that, and how much we need people in Alaska who are willing to take in kids uh, who need some help. Uh, so you you grew up playing music, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, my parents bought me bongos when I was seven or eight um, for Christmas, and I just brought them to church. I didn't ask. I just brought them. <laughs> And I played them every Sunday I in the second now. row mm-hmm. uh, until they let me play on stage when I was like 11. Yep. And then my brother picked up a guitar and I wanted to be cool like him. So I learned guitar and then they let me lead my first song for church when I was like 12. I wrote it and they actually oh played goodness. it. It was a very That's pretty amazing. Um, encouraging um, atmosphere to grow up into. Yeah. You know, a lot of times they're like, let the adults deal with things. But no, and then that just really helped me have confidence. And yeah, I've been playing ever since. Played in bands for a lot of years. Um, Kept me out of a lot of trouble because we just play shows when everybody else is getting in trouble. And um, yeah, love, love music. I always felt so my my dad was a pastor. Mm -hmm. I grew up, you know, in, in a similar kind of environment playing the drums when I was probably 12, something like mm-hmm. that. And I've long held that church is a place where they let you do things before anyone else would let you do things. Yeah, yeah. And so you just get a ton of experience when you should not yeah. be able to get that experience. And it, and it transfers in so many different yeah. ways, learning how to play with uh, you know, a worship team and play with different musicians from a young age and... Um, it teaches you a lot. Yeah. And then I was really involved in Joel's place growing up back when it was first, um, in its first inception, um, and did a lot of music there. So we had a lot of fun. It was fun. I'm sure. Feels worlds away now because life has just changed so dramatically recently. But, uh, yeah, I love music. The most disappointing experience I ever had with you was after hearing you play guitar for many times mm. and realizing that you were a very talented guitar player. And then I had no idea you played drums and you sit down and start playing the drums. And I'm like, he can't be better than, than me at that too. <laughs> like, pick one. Yeah, I, I played drums when I was a kid. I played drums in a hardcore band when I was 12 called Bystander. And I screamed. Nice. I probably hadn't even hit puberty yet. But put that down when I was... Uh, more into guitar, but I'm I'm a drummer at heart. Rhythm wise, I'm a drummer at heart. Yeah. I play the guitar like a drummer. Yeah, I, I, think, I think like a drummer. I I always appreciate playing with guitar players who either think like drummers mm-hmm. or like have an affinity for drummers. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, my friend Brendan, we've played together for years, and it's like I just know what he's going to do. Yeah. Because he plays guitar like a drummer. You're right. So. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, I, 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 what do you think that, or how do you think that playing multiple instruments helped you in the context of a band? Um, I've always, when I've written songs, I mean, coming from the band perspective away from church stuff mm-hmm. a little bit, yeah. but I've always written and I've heard the entire song in my head. So because I can play most of the parts generally, mm-hmm. I've always composed it completely in my mind and then being able to translate that has been always fun. So it's never been like a, I just have this melody. It's always been like, mm-hmm. I hear the drum beat, yeah. I hear the bass line, I hear the guitar. Yeah. Um, and then um, being able to bring that to, you know, um, to reality has always been really fun. But I think also just being able to understand how to speak you know, mm-hmm. you're a drummer. Everybody yeah. speaks Drummanese differently. Yeah, right. Rat-a-tat, um, kick it cool, you know, yeah. Yeah, but being able to to speak in those worlds and understand, you know, where things should go or understand why people are doing what they are, it's always been fun. That's why later in life I really like to do more production type stuff mm-hmm. of actually, you know, recording. Not that I've done much of it, but, you know, working with Young Fangs and doing... Uh, being able to hear their entire band and, and listen to it from that perspective. Yeah. And that's super fun too. I really like that side of things. But So can we play a quick uh, game of this or that musical sure. edition? Yeah. I, I, I fed you some questions ahead of time to kind of prime you for today. This is out of left field. Yeah. 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 Let's go. All right. Brittany or Christina? Brittany or Christina? Christina. Okay. Mm-hmm. Acoustic or electric? Electric. Because I can still make it sound acoustic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you you can listen to your favorite band for the rest of your life, but nothing else. Mm. Or you can listen to all the other collected music in the universe, but not your favorite band. All the other music. Mm. I have a huge appreciation well for all music. Yeah. yeah. The album or the concert? Um, that goes both ways. I've been to some of my favorite bands like thrice. I saw them in San... Diego with my brother and I love them but like halfway through the concert I was just smelling like a mosh pit <laughs> yeah. and I didn't want people to touch me anymore and so I'm like mm, I'm ready to go <laughs> you yeah. know yeah. so it depends um but there's been some bands like we saw Imagine Dragon in the Blue Loon and that was one of the most phenomenal shows ever I appreciate the musicianship of being able to watch people do what they yeah. do live yeah. so I like live music okay uh Baby Shark or what the fox say? Well, if you would ask my three-year-old, then baby shark. If you would ask my ten-year-old, then what the fox say? <laughs> <laughs> so, baby shark I'm is asking, on the rise right now. I'm asking now. you though. Either one of those You're songs makes tortured. me want to die. Yes. Um, probably what the fox say because it's not so repetitive. Yeah, there there is a little more to yeah. it. Yeah, I appreciate. Certainly that. more variation yes. in the sounds. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, okay, finally, this is the hard one. Mm. More tambourine or more cowbell? More tambourine. Yeah. Yeah. That's correct. Yes. <laughs> cowbell is, you know, on the rise of SNL, it has a legendary place, sure, but sure. in actuality, leave it out. Yeah. <laughs> my, so my problem, being a drummer, when mm-hmm. I'm recording stuff, I 
okay, we'll add a little of this here. Mm-hmm. And then you've got 72 <laughs> percussion tracks. Exactly. I'm like, it's got to stop somewhere. Yeah. Where, but where does it stop? So yeah. My wife was actually listening to a band last week, and she heard the tambourine for the first time. She's like, what's that jangly thing? It sounds horrible. I'm like, <laughs> like it's in every chorus of every song. Yeah. And I think it was a little revelation for her. I'm like, no, that's they always put that in there. It's just that a filler. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, it it does it does add like a percussive thing. Like I always I always really appreciate when uh they will add muted guitar strings mm-hmm. that it's just a percussive thing. Yes. You know, and you just yeah. hear and you hear like, Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I you like hear it. the feel of it. Yeah. It's yeah. But mm-hmm. it's not actually yeah. playing chords, yeah. Uh, so, but you are not presently a, a working musician. No. You have uh, no. landed in a different vocation. Yeah. So how did that come about? <laughs> I wish I knew. Um, after I mean, high you, school. You were there for it, right? Yeah, no. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Good. I was there. Everything seems like a blur now. But, you know, when I graduated early, um, graduated later when I was 16, I did high. I did homeschool. I wasn't smart or anything. I just skipped a grade <laughs> because I played the system. Um, but because I graduated so young, we always worked from a young age. Because my grandpa owned the fields on China Hot Springs Road, and we'd work at the farm. And we just had my my dad. You know, we always learned how to work. Mm-hmm. And so construction was just the default growing up in Alaska. I always had this desire to be able to build houses. Um, and so I got into that field, and then I met. Um, my soon-to-be father-in-law and started working for his company. We would go out to villages. We lived out in Fort Yukon for a year and St. Mary's for a season and Alakaka for a summer and built schools and, and learned all that. Um, and then that transferred over to working on base, um, doing sheetrock and painting and taping and all that for a number of years. But just came to this point where my wife and I realized that Something needed to change. I was working constantly, but then also just feeling like this isn't what I want to do for the rest of my mm-hmm. life. And so she was working at um, Friends Church for probably a year being the assistant children's director or assistant to the director. Oh, you know, yeah, the yeah. old office yeah, trick. Yeah. I don't know which one it is. <laughs> um, but she called me and she said, hey, well, they were talking at staff meeting today and they wanted to know if you'd consider becoming the youth pastor. And I laughed at her on the phone. <laughs> And I was like, You're, no, there's no way I'm going to do that. But we ended up thinking about it for a while. And I've always really had a heart to work um, with youth. You know, growing up in Alaska, you don't have to live here too long to know that people deal with a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, so, um, so yeah, I, I just turned that direction, quit my job, making a lot of money mm-hmm. to come into a job where I didn't even know anything about anything and and then that moved from that to just um you know we've been through some transitions at friends and um just really felt like uh we've been just trying to be obedient when doors open we walk through them so now um pastoring there um and taking most of the preaching on sundays and i never thought that this is what I would do. I tell people all the time, if you inspire, like if it's your dream to do this, something's wrong with you. (laughs) Just because it's a really dangerous thing to get into because it can be a lot about um, your own ego, you know, being in the public light as it is. And 
I, I don't know. I just feel like it's a really easy place to just get steamrolled for a lot of reasons. Um, but we've always had the confidence that we just felt like we'd just been walking through doors as they've opened and haven't really tried to pursue. It's not like we're lazy or lethargic about our life, but really just been able to say, okay, this just kind of feels like where we're being led now. And it's just brought us to where we are today. It, you know, there was nothing in me as a child that ever thought one day I'm going to preach every week. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's good, man. I just feel like we've learned a lot in life um, in the last few years. One of the things is to hold on to things loosely. You know, if we get our identity wrapped up too much into our work or yeah. into the things that we don't want to let go of, that can be a crippling effect when stuff changes, you know. So as long as we feel like this is where we're supposed to be, um, we'll just keep down this road. But if at any moment, you know, we feel like God called us out or something changed, then we could let go of whatever we have and not feel like it's destroyed our whole identity, yeah. which is good. Sure. You know? Yeah. Because I don't really feel like my job makes me who I am or, you know, is my identity. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a healthy place to be. Not that I have an issue with people finding, you know, worth in their jobs or anything like that because I, I I approach what I do with a lot of uh you know yeah, you're, not, you're not flip about it right no yeah <laughs> yeah but my motives I just it's um I've always just tried to check our motives and whenever things get a little you know you just wonder where are we at right now we just keep going back down to we don't really feel like we were the ones that pursued this, that Mm. we're just trying to be faithful with what's in front of us. And that's always been the comfort for us to know, you know, when things kind of feel sideways or confusing that we can go, Oh, okay. Well we didn't bring us here. So if we're taken out, then we're fine. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big just believer that we're built for work. Mm -hmm. Um, but that, so having an ethic towards wanting to be somebody who contributes, wanting to be somebody who produces good work. I think that's wonderful. But yeah, having your identity tied exclusively up in the things that you do, the work that you do, that, I mean, that is dangerous because things, things change fast, man. Oh, they do. The world is not staying, <laughs> staying the way it was for yeah. very long anymore. I think especially in our culture too, when we talk about church in general, people, a lot of times th- they have this stamp of what they feel like a pastor should be sure. and coming from a world very opposite of that working construction with a bunch of guys <laughs> that you know we would just i mean it was a burly bunch of dudes and then coming to this world where now everybody just thinks like you're this saint and you're this isolated being that has all the answers and yeah. let's just flock to you and that was a really weird culture shock that i'm not over yet it's not sure. like now i feel comfortable with it but just realizing wow we really try to throw a lot onto specific um uh, jobs, you mm-hmm. know, and um, that's been a really interesting thing to try to find myself not getting lost in. It's just the expectations of what people assume I should be. Yeah. You know, well, it seems a little bit like that, that point in your life when you realize your parents were winging it. Yeah, exactly. Like you thought they knew everything <laughs> about everything. And the one day you wake up and you're like, they had no clue. Yeah. That's how I feel every day. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, it's kind of a similar thing. It's not like you you get some sort of, you know, like perfect download. And you're like, I know how to handle every situation now. Mm-hmm. I'm a pastor. I can 
I can handle it all perfectly. No. You're still a person who's trying to figure out how to do their job well. If anything, I think the one thing that I've been able to get better at than anything else isn't becoming professional, but being able to empathize with where people are at. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I've obviously been exposed to a lot of different life stories. And just being able to say, you know what? Like, life is hard. Yeah. You know, and being able to meet people where they're at and not just try to fix everything, mm-hmm. but just acknowledge what you're going through is real yeah. and you're not alone in it. And yeah. I feel it sometimes, you know, so um, it's funny because some people, you know, I've had conversations with people where they're coming to my office and I don't say an, a word the entire time they're there and, mm-hmm. they're, and they leave and they're like, oh, thank you so much. I'm like, I didn't do anything yeah. except just listen. Yes. But you just realize how many people aren't exposed to a group of friends or a structure around them where they can just be heard, Yeah, you know? And so just being able to listen to people has been a really, that's been a learning lesson. Yeah. So you, you have a very public job like you, yeah. I'm sure part of it, like these conversations you're talking about, those are private. Those yeah. are over here, but a, a significant part of what your job looks like yeah. is standing in front of a room full of people mm-hmm. and speaking. So, I mean, there's just no way that you do that and you're not going to absorb some criticism, uh, positive, yeah. negative feedback, whatever. Uh, like how how do you deal with criticism in such a public and, and what seems like a very personal kind of job? You're not cranking out widgets, right? Yeah. You're not having someone say, oh, that widget does not meet standard because here is this what a widget should look like. This is very personal kind of work. And I'm sure... In a lot of cases, very well-meaning people. It's not people who are trying to be hurtful. Oh, yeah. But you're still, there's no way you're going to please a room full of people every Sunday. There's just yeah. no way. No, and I don't. Uh, <laughs> that's been very evident over the years. Um, yeah, it's a weird phenomenon. Preaching is a weird phenomenon. Uh, I've talked about this a lot. over. I've thought about this personally a lot over the years of like, what other job is there where you, you, know, you talk about something and then you'll never use that exact talk ever again. Mm-hmm. And you write a whole new one the next week Every and then week, a whole yeah. new one the next week, you know. Yeah. And mine end up being, we have a couple uh, people who are hearing impaired in our church. So I dictate my entire sermon for them so mm-hmm. that they can read. And it's always about 5,000 words every week. Um, wow. And it's weird. Like it still, it's never really felt normal. But the, I think the weirdest thing is just being in a job where you're standing in front of, you know, four or 500 people and they can immediately um, critique everything that you did. Mm-hmm. When I, you know, when I was working construction, we build houses and if I'd mess up on a sheetrock joint, there might be like three or four people in the world that knew it mm-hmm. and we'd fix it. Um, and, you know, you deal with criticism and that, but being in a public um, job like preaching, People, yeah, you're just standing in front and whatever they want to say, they not only will say it, I've learned, but they just feel the right Mm -hmm. to just share any type of, and it just comes with the territory. I I don't think people are, you know, but it's, it's interesting. I had a, I had a girl come to church a few months ago and, um, she came up to me and the first words out of her mouth was, you probably get a lot of affirmation. So I just want to tell you some things I didn't like about today. And I was like, "Oh man, that's good. okay. Let's 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 go. Here we're, here we're gonna do this." And it had nothing to do with what I said. Yeah. It had everything to do with 
my eye contact and when I said it. So it's not just it's not just yeah. the substance the content, but sure. it's how you present it yeah. and i was never changed as a public speaker dude i did homeschool my whole life yeah. like i didn't know how to look a human in the face until i was about 15 <laughs> um so that's always been something that i've struggled with is feeling like i'm engaging but not feeling like i'm being a, a showy or fake because yeah. there can become that thing where you just look at people and you're like, this is just an act to you. Yeah. Like you're just doing this because you're just trying to keep people's attention. It's, there's not an honesty sure. in it. And so I've always hated that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it hasn't been easy. I've, uh, there's been days where uh, I'm, you know, it's been a hard week or there's just a lot going on at, you know, because we have a lot of kids as well, but I'll, go to the parking lot at a grocery store and I'm like, you know, if I go to the other grocery store right now, I probably won't see as many people <laughs> and that'd probably be better. But, you know, just dealing with social anxiety because it's not just when you're on stage, it's when you're in the public, mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're expected to be this beacon of perfection because that's what society thinks of. Yeah. Um, this line of work is that, you know, you're just, you're above reproach and it's like, I wish I was. Yeah. But that's not the reality. Yeah, I'm just a dude. Turns out you're you're just you're, you're a person. <laughs> yeah, I'm huh. just a dude. Yeah. Um. So it's uh it's not easy. Sometimes you just sort of learn. I mean, what I've learned to do is keep a core group of guys around me that um I say, hey, if you need to put me in check or if there's something I've gone wrong with, then call me out. Mm -hmm. And I listen to them, and those opinions mattered a lot. And then everybody else, I just try to take with a grain of salt, because. Uh, when you're hearing 500 perspectives, it's kind of hard. Yeah. So having just a core group of people around you that you give the ability to keep you accountable, I think is super key in public work um, because you can get lost in the sea of opinions pretty quick. Yeah. If, if you are trying to chase getting everyone you'll in never, room, Yeah. You'll yeah. never make everybody happy. Yeah. And quite simply, my job isn't to make people happy. Yeah. That's not mm -hmm. my job as a pastor. My job, as far as I understand it, is to present what what I feel like the truth is and in the most lovingly, lovingly way possible. Well, we know that truth divides us sometimes. I mean, you can go to Facebook for five seconds and know <laughs> that. So it's not always the most popular topics, um, yeah. but that's just the reality. That's the gig. You know? So you alluded to having a... Uh significant sized family yeah we we in the last nine months we've adopted our nine kids we finalized the adoption of our nine kids and that's been um about a three and a half year process um, with all nine of them and i think that goes back to um a lot of different reasons but one of the core things that lauren and i have always my wife we've always tried to do is not to just people who say not to just be people who say a bunch of things. Um, you know, we can think about theology or our beliefs, and it can just stay cognitive. It, it can just stay in our minds, mm -hmm. and and uh, we can never really act out on them. Mm -hmm. If you know a bunch of stuff, yeah, but you never act it out. So here I am in a world where I'm preaching about what I feel like is absolutely crucial for the way we. Um, you know, operate and live our lives. And yet, how is my life reflecting yeah. that? And so we really just, 
it wasn't like this, you know, huge grand idea, but, um, it was just this reality of like, there are some things that we should be, there are some more intentional ways that we could be approaching this. And so our friends back in, I think it was 2000, I actually wrote it down today. Um, it was back in 2015, I think, invited us to come with them to do the foster care training. And we did it and we're like, ah, the training, the lady who did the training was definitely not having the best day. Um, <laughs> so we're like, maybe we'll just wait for a little bit. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, we got a call from one of our friends who had a, a boy they were emergency placed with. And they're like, we need to know if you can take him like tomorrow. Yeah. And so what was supposed to be a six month process ended up being just getting a human in our house in a matter of a couple of weeks. And it's just that just snowballed into a bunch of things. I feel like when you grow up, you just sort of live in this bubble, you know, mm -hmm. you know, your friends and your neighborhood and how the town works and stuff. But when you're exposed to something like the realities of heroin, heroin addiction or kids who uh, come from domestic violence or just the brokenness of, uh, you know, all of these things that our state faces, it becomes a reality that you can't not, mm -hmm. you can't not, not see it anymore. You know, yeah. yeah. there's a, there's a quote by Stalin that I've always appreciated. He said that, um, one death is a tragedy. A mm -hmm. million is a st statistic. Yep. And I think that's the way that I've viewed a lot of this stuff growing up with, Oh, you know, the things are, there's too much going on in our town. We can't really make a dent in it. But then when you just focus on one child, mm -hmm. it just radically changes your life. Yeah. And so we got him. And then six months later, we got a call from uh, a tribe asking us if we take these three rowdy boys and, um, they change us forever. And then we had our first foster kid for about a year, kept our our boys got our little three month old baby girl a year later, got our two other kids and then found out they had three siblings and said, we'll take all five. <laughs> and so just finalized that, um, back in February with all of our kids. And it's been such a blur the last few years that a lot has happened, but, uh, yeah, man, I don't know what else I'll be doing with my life it's good <laughs> it's funny like i think we started going to friends around like january 2013 i think we were like at six years now mm. and so like i didn't really know that was the beginning of this for you like that yeah you guys were just starting when when we were kind of starting to get to know you i just assumed this was this has been your life forever yeah and so it's interesting to see the culmination of this and realize that like we've kind of seen it happen the whole yeah. way um the, I, I can only imagine the challenges of having these children in your home, falling in love with them, and then not knowing whether they're yeah. going to stay your kids. You realize that people say a lot of ignorant things when you're in the midst of stuff. And I think that's, you know, people are just, they only can know what they know. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that Lauren and I have run into a lot is people saying to us, you know, I can never do what you do. And we just go, well, I could never do what I do, you know? <laughs> what do you think that when we yeah. lose a child that our hearts just leap for joy? Like, yeah. are we heartless? No, yeah. it's an impossible world. Yeah, you go into foster care. We've had a lot of friends who have been like, we really want to adopt, so tell us about foster care. And it's like, 
if all you're getting into foster care yeah. is to adopt a kid, your heart is going to get broken. Yeah. Like you go into it with the understanding of we're loving on a child um, and we're keeping them safe. But yeah. Lauren and I have always said the base, best case scenario for any of these kids is for them to be reconciled with their family. Mm-hmm. Even as we've moved to adoption with our kids, we pray that God would, you know, um, bring reconciliation in their family. And there's been a couple of times where it went that direction with a couple of the kids we had. There was a time where we almost uh, lost our baby girl that we had, you know, from three months old. And when she, and that was a brutal time, but you just realize we're holding on to these things loosely and mm-hmm. you just really learn to get beat up and keep going, you know, because the reality is, is that it'd be really easy for you to just keep it to where you don't open up your heart and the kids are in your home and you just try to sort of treat them like a little inmate and feed them and stuff. <laughs> but these kids, what they need is for someone to come in and just love them yeah. like they've never seen before. And that requires you to get vulnerable. It requires you to open up your heart in a way that you're going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. Like it's not a question. Yep. It's just how bad, yeah. you know? Well, that's um, the nature of love, right? Yeah. Is to like, like take your barrier down to the point where you're like, yeah. this person could really injure me. Yeah. So I think it's just been for us to really say we're, we're willing to die to the point of if this, you know, kills us in the sense of like, if we lose our kids, we've just done the best that we've can for them yeah. because this isn't about us. Yeah. This is about them. Like we've been blessed with so much. I, both of us grew up in an amazing household. Lauren, Lauren's parents adopted seven kids themselves. They had, she has two siblings who are blood. And so, you know, she lived through that life and, um, big families are great, but you just, you get, just get to this point where you just go like, man, like I've been so blessed. Like, what can I do now to just turn around and focus on somebody else? And whether you want that or not, foster care forces you into that Mm -hmm. world because you have to get into it, but it's been the best things that we've ever been involved with. You know, there's 3000 kids a month in the state of Alaska who are in the system, 3000 kids in homes. That's a Mm -hmm. huge number. Yeah. Um, so the need is great, but we're, we're happy with our nine. Yeah. They said we couldn't take any more cause we'd had to put a f- sprinkler system in our house. So we're capped. Um, <laughs> oh, man. but I was talking to a lady a couple weeks ago who was talking about this little baby, um, that she was concerned about. And I'm like, man, you know, if the mom needs somebody, just call us. And I'm, as I'm saying it, I'm like, yeah. what am I saying why, right why? now? <laughs> But you just go, you know, the difference between nine and 10, it's not really that big. I think the biggest <laughs> jump for us was when we went from one to four in mm-hmm. a day, that was huge. And then everything else past that was like, we're already making a bunch of food, <laughs> you know, it's just another body. And the cool, th- it's it's just cool to see how really the dynamics of our kids' relationships themselves has yeah. been so good. We have a three-year-old and then we have every grade from kindergarten to eighth grade except fifth. Wow. So if anybody has a fifth grader, they're looking to get rid of. <laughs> you guys will take yeah. to complete yeah. the set. Yeah. So um, it's been fun, man. It's been a trip. And Lauren and I were talking earlier, trying to get our bearings on, you know, what what have we gone through this last few years? And it's been a lot, but we just know that we've just been investing in something that I feel like is worth giving your life for. So yeah. it's good. It's it's it's. Absolutely exhausting, but it's good. So, so you you have five hundred ish people. I, I I don't know what the word like. I want to say parishioners, but that sounds really weird. Yeah, I don't know. Five hundred ish people that come to friends. 
that are sort of looking to you as the as a, as a leader in there. You have nine kids at home and a mm-hmm. wife and like this whole family dynamic. Um, how do you manage those things? Because it seems like there's a lot. Yeah. Every direction you look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been the hardest one because I my uh, my personality and it's always been like this since I was a kid. It's like. I'm the guy at the party where when everybody shows up, if someone isn't enjoying themselves, I'm stressed out till they are. Oh, that's you Nicole. Know? Yeah. Like yeah, that you is play Nicole. the, you play the martyr role of yeah. like, if everybody isn't satisfied. So that's been a really impossible thing because you have, you know, these, and they're really, they're real needs from people who are yeah. like, Hey, I need your attention right now. Like I'm coming to your office right, right now. Or one of my kids gets suspended and I'm supposed to be in a meeting mm-hmm. or, you know, like all these dynamics where, um, and I've just, just come to this where, where I've come to is just, you know, when we had one kid or two kids, you could be a lot more available and, you know, we could just roll with the punches and stuff. But the reality is until all of my kids are graduated and their feet are underneath them. They've come from really hard places. Is that they're the they're the f- the focus of my my ministry, the focus of my life, and my wife for sure. And so um, I've learned to say no. I got a girl in volleyball. You know, I got kids who are are just about to get started in a running club. We got we got a whole house full of needs and a, and a wife who I'm not just gonna just keep leaving home with all these rowdy mm-hmm. kids and so my focus right now is my family, um so learning how to say no and and just learning how to and I'm horrible with time scheduling but just really understanding like what is what's core what's the major you know yeah. what's the major things and so um, I've always tried to. I guess just model um, leadership from the way that I live, not just from the counsel that I give. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, um, and that's been a, it's been a cool thing to see people that are like, man, we got involved in foster care just because of watching you and your wife. And I'm like, if that's all I do, uh, besides being able to preach and, you know, obviously invest, I have a core group of guys that we invest in and, and they can invest a little further and stuff. But, um, yeah, the season right now, it's, it's all about our kids. Cool. Well, I am grateful for you. Um, you have you. Uh, been an important part of my life for the past number of years. And, um, I, I, I do appreciate the, um, the genuine nature of the way you, you do your work. Um, you, we've had some conversations along the way and I certainly don't, I never have seen you as somebody who's dying to get on, unless there's a guitar on stage. Then maybe you're dying to get on stage. But uh, you're not just dying to be in front of people. You do no. it because it's a labor of love. And um, the the emotion that comes out of you when I see you speak, um, that is what I see is authentic. What I see is that's a real thing that he just felt in that moment. Yeah. And I appreciate that about you. And I uh, I have very much enjoyed getting to work alongside you in some Thanks, capacities man. throughout the, yeah. the, the past little bit. Um, I'm going to go ahead and stick with the one kid I've got at the moment. <laughs> I feel like uh, my certification does not extend past yeah, that. That's great. But you would, you would probably argue that, uh, you know, anyone can do this. It just takes, um, I would just, I, yeah, I would challenge everybody to at least consider whether or not they're in a season of life where they could take in, um, one or you know 
one to nine kids were were in desperate need of that um, in our state, just in general. But yeah, I think you know I always get on the soap uh, the soapbox of <laughs> foster care because that's my world and yeah. it's the reality of my kids. I don't think it's the answer for all things at ALS, but I do think that um, it's something that everybody should really consider, at least um, if you never have yeah. to get involved. Cool. It's it's worth the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you want to talk about making a real significant difference in the life of a person. Yeah, it's so That'll funny. Do it. I never thought that I'd be so into middle school volleyball. You know, we just got our older girls this last year, and now everybody's adopted, and I'm at the games just getting so much stress. I'm like, when did I become a middle school yep. dad? <laughs> you know, You're in. volleyball games. So we've just sort of taken the short track to everything, but it's it's been good, man. It's been a ride, but it's been very good. Thank you for doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to The Spark, our weekly email for people who want to do their very best work. All the details are at datelinedigital.com forward slash spark.